Hello and welcome back to the Indian Edit. I'm Natasha, back after a summer break and straight into September madness here in the US where it's back to school and work season. Today I'm thrilled to share with you a special conversation with a unique guest from Delhi, Aarti Jaiman, who is a family friend, writer and activist and has started something from scratch in two fields where there were huge gaps. And even though her contribution is really important and has made a huge impact in hundreds of thousands of people's lives, I love that Aarti has a completely relaxed approach and doesn't take herself too seriously. She began her career in print journalism and after having their first child, she and her husband co-founded Pitara, an online space for contemporary Indian children's content. A few years later, she founded Gurgaon Ki Awaaz, or Voice of Gurgaon in Hindi, an award-winning community radio station in Gurgaon, a suburb of Delhi, that I'll let her tell us all about. So let's get started. A warm welcome, Aarti. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Natasha. It's a real pleasure. So let's go back to your childhood. I know you were, um, were you born and raised in Delhi? Oh, completely. I'm an out-and-out Delhi baby. And uh, (laughs) even though, you know, the joke in Delhi is that nobody is from Delhi. But in my case, I'm very much, you know, a Delhi product. Right. And uh, yeah, I was born here. That's amazing. And so were you always drawn to storytelling or journalism right from an early age? Or is this something that um, you chose at the time of college? Uh, I think what I was drawn to was writing. I okay. used to love writing letters and I I was famous in the family for writing to all my cousins and I even kept in touch with my mother's friends because she was too lazy to write to them and <laughs> <laughs> I would write to them, you know. And uh, uh, in fact, uh, you know, just today a friend of mine, she uh, dug up some old uh, letters from 1990 from college and uh, she uh, those were my letters that I had written to her. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And uh, long and really long letters. I just I wrote reams, you know, I, I guess. Uh, so it's something that I I guess my mother saw that, you know, oh, she just keeps writing letters, so let's direct it somewhere. <laughs> I said, no, she's going to become a letter writer. So that's uh, how kind of my mom suggested, oh, why don't you try for journalism? Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's what I decided after doing college. Oh, right. So it was in college, did you study English or... Literature uh, yeah, so bachelor's was in English literature. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was three years. And after that, then I did my uh, diploma in journalism. I um, see. And from there, I kind of started my career in journalism. Yeah. And so for um, quite a while, you covered the arts for the Economic Times um, in Delhi. Yeah, right? for six years. That was my first job. I started writing for them uh, as a student. I was still a student of journalism and I started just writing for them as a freelance writer. And then I started, uh, I I was an intern there and uh, they just, while I was an intern there, they asked me if I'd like to join full time. And I was like, sure, (laughs) you know, and I just, you know, that just seamlessly went from being a freelance writer to an intern to a full time staff writer. Oh, wow. And it sounds like you enjoyed your time there and Oh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I had a great team. I had a great editor, a very mm-hmm. uh, kind of mentoring kind of editor. And mm-hmm. uh, I I wrote on, um, was a, you know, something which I'd never thought I'd write on. I mean, I wrote on the arts. You mm-hmm. know, I wrote on theater especially, literature. 
and uh, at dance theater and college uh-huh. completely on a lark and uh, it that really proved to be my entry point into journalism writing on theater and uh, that is something that uh, i loved i love the medium uh, i i instinctively found it really easy for me to write on theater mm-hmm. and uh, then i moved on to writing on literature on design um so it it was uh, wonderful i mean quite a an array of subjects that one wrote mm-hmm. about sounds like great training for all kinds of things i guess um, oh absolutely yeah. but then at some also, point also you know it was mm-hmm. uh, i mean i think that was a phase where also my politics was being formed where one was able to kind of start joining dots and being shown how to join the dots seeing the politics in art or mm. seeing the politics in um, you know design or the you know the gender biases in design or mm. you know you just uh, it really my my sense of what culture means and mm. what it what it includes and uh, what is the politics of everyday actions of ours you know uh, our or of even artistic expression mm. is something that was formed then and today i mean god i mean 25 years later i'm uh, i find that i keep referring to so much that i learned in those mm-hmm. first 6 years of my career yeah i mean i guess you get to take a really critical and close look at um, everything huh? you report on and you learn so much and exposed to so many things too that's really interesting um, yeah so but at some point you you left this um and mm-hmm. t- tell us about that how you came to leave the sort of print <laughs> journalism field well it was uh, as simple as my son turning 2 you know mm. uh, he was is that fantastic age where the kids are all over the place and uh, <laughs> i just felt that uh, you know i really needed to uh, step back because journalism has very odd and very long hours mm. it's uh, it's not uh, easy because you you have late days and you finish off at like 11 at night or 12 at night and uh, i was anyway staying very far away from my work Wow. So uh and so it just turned out to be one of those uh, times where uh, my husband also quit his regular full-time job uh-huh. and started out on his own and I also decided to quit and uh you know spend time looking after my son Siddharth and also help my husband you know in his new venture. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, an interestingly challenging exciting time you know you suddenly leave two regular jobs and yeah. two regular salaries <laughs> kind right. of fairly broke and you have you know yeah, just most uh, people don't take you know, the plunge together so you find yeah normally one person's holding on so uh, this kind of uh, it happened and i'm really glad we did it then you know we are young and mm-hmm. i think we we could do it then and uh, my son was only 2 years old and uh, it was a great adventure i think and uh, so that's how i kind of quit and mm-hmm. uh, then when he was uh, i think around two and a half i got back to work uh, to editing for this publishing house called katha which does uh, indian language uh, um, indian literature in translation and they also publish children's books so it's a very interesting and a really path breaking publishing house 
Mm-hmm. So I kind of, uh, so I got back to work actually quite soon, you know, within about, yeah. I think, eight months of completely quitting uh-huh. uh, to uh, alternate work, which was, you know, part time. And uh, that's one of the nice things, I think, of being a writer and an editor that you're able to get back to work, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in, in a kind of part time sort of way. Yeah. Or on a project basis, you're able to get back. Right. which maybe in another in another field i may not have been able to do mm. and so kind um, of i moved out um, also when you so when you co-founded pitara um right you were inspired by um the idea of providing an online media platform with indian content for children is that right 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 we started uh, again it again you know you're a young parent and um, I'd grown up with very British books, you know, Enid yeah. Blyton, you know, Nancy Drew and stuff like that, completely yeah. out of context from right. India. I mean, we grew up, I mean, reading about scones and we don't even know what they looked like, what they yeah. tasted like, nothing, but we just romanticized them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when my son was growing up and, uh, you know, in play, when he joined play school and the the books that the teachers were recommending were these ladybird books. And mm-hmm. again, you know, you kind of, go back to those same cultural markers and yeah uh, we we started kind of questioning like you know where are the indian books yeah. where where are the children's books for his age or maybe slightly older and we started doing our research and we found that there were a few you know there was tolika books tara books there was of course national book trust which i was very familiar with because of my work in the arts pages mm-hmm. so and i knew the editor of nbt at that time so i said you know they're really badly produced mm-hmm. on really sad paper yeah. books are beautifully illustrated they are written you know beautifully and the stories are indian the contemporary indian mm. because otherwise uh, the indian stories for children were mythological right so it was either you read western children's books or you read mythology yeah. there was about contemporary indian literature for children in english mm-hmm. you know or in and in hindi and and in other indian languages right the so mirror books as they're of, called which reflect the kids experience in some way yeah so then you know like i mean in the sense the kids in the books will be say eating a mango or you know when they're talking about summer summer of india it's not yeah. in india we don't say it's a bright sunny day that's a horrible day for us <laughs> i mean it's sweltering <laughs> dying of the heat so uh, so that's when we started digging up and you know going to national book trust children's book trust tolika tara you know uh, katha katha had uh, some books mm-hmm. and uh, that's when we started kind of looking for those books and then ajay because he you know was really into programming and coding and uh, he had been kind of working on the online space in very early days in india so this was in 1995 96 where he had started working on it mm-hmm. and uh, then he said why don't you know and he started he used to write stories for siddharth he would like tell them to him because we had this nighttime storytelling routine mm-hmm. and there'd be these characters who would have these adventures and uh, so he started writing those stories got somebody to illustrate them and then started pitara just like you know himself just uh-huh. the stories he had and then we talked to national book trust and children's book trust and everybody was really generous saying that you know please go ahead you know share our books because more people will read them and uh, that's how it really started 
I see. That's amazing. So it looks like you. In have... fact, Pitara uh, completes twenty years this November. Wow! It started exactly twenty years ago. It was started more than twenty years ago, but formally the URL was registered twenty years ago. I see. Yeah, I mean, it's really ahead of its time because, you know, now it seems like I mean, not only in India but in other countries too. This. Um, kind of online content for kids yeah. is really taking yeah, off now. Thanks. So, yeah, that's really interesting. And there's still um, a beautiful website with so many amazing articles and stories. So uh, people should check that out at pitara.com. Um, but I'd like to switch back now to your working part-time, doing some writing and editing um, how did you come to founding the radio station and how did that happen? Oh, yeah, that is many years later. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, so I was editing. Then um, I started working on, um, then, yeah, Pitara um, was uh, formally funded by a VC firm in 2000. Uh, by Sorry, Venture Capital? Yeah, by venture capitalist in uh, in two thousand in the year two thousand. I see. And uh, so, and I again kind of took a step back because my daughter was born in that year. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was born. I mean, I think literally the day she was born, Ajay was working on the contracts. You know, it was like it, happening <laughs> okay. at the same time. Right. And uh, she, uh, so we, you know, but before that, we had been really busy, kind of working on it, and. Um, so again, for a few months, I took a step back to look after her mm-hmm. and then got back to writing for Peter. I kind of, you know, okay. started focusing on that. So that yeah. was in the year 2000. Then in the year 2002, I started working on book projects with a colleague of mine, oh, Okay. with a former colleague of mine, a very good friend. And we started working on really like books which covered a span of Indian history and like 50 years of an organization which paralleled the history of India, independent India. And uh, so that involved a lot of travel and, you know, going into uh, states and grassroots projects. And it was actually lovely because I love to travel. And uh, so, you know, that took, I think, almost a year. That was a year-long writing project. And uh, so after that, I really got into writing, you know, like writing books, yeah. Uh, writing articles, writing for newspapers. Uh, so I was kind of uh, really writing a lot, but of course, working out of the home or traveling. Okay. And uh, it really helped that, uh, you know, Ajay, my husband, was very, you know, kind of hands on with my kids and, you know, more than willing to say, okay, you go, <laughs> you uh-huh. know, I'll manage that. So that's a big help. And uh, then uh, in 2000 and Eight. Uh, mm-hmm. I was asked if I would like to help um, uh, this NGO, the Restoring Force, apply for a community radio license. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, the same colleague and I, we were working on in the same office, uh, in fact, on Pitara content. And uh, she used to be the editor of Pitara. And, um, you know, they just asked for our help. And I have a very bad habit of saying, why not? And uh, <laughs> so does she, actually, which is why we're great friends. <laughs> and we said, yeah, sure, why not? We'll help you. And we, we, you know, kind of um, helped them apply and fill out the form. And we did the research and wrote it all out. And uh, we forgot about it. Uh-huh. And then some weeks later, uh, you know, there was, you know, 
a scrutiny by the ministry. They sent somebody. Again, we ignore it. Didn't involve us. A few weeks after that, uh, the NGO representatives were asked to present their case in front of a ministry panel. Oh. And so the NGO asked us, would you like to come along because you filled the form, you know, can you uh-huh. people come? And we're like, sure, why not? You know, <laughs> uh, and we just kind of ladied up, landed up. And it was an extremely intimidating experience. There were some 20 people from, you know, multilateral agencies, UN agencies, Doordarshan, All India Radio, the works, you know, different <laughs> ministries and all shooting questions at you for which I think most we mostly didn't have answers. <laughs> but I think the intention shone through where we said that, OK, you know, we are focused on young people, uh, which we were at the time. And uh, you know, we the, what we really want to do is create this space where this community can, you know, have its voice. That's it. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we told them the budget that we have for it, they just laughed us out of the room saying, how are you going to do it in that budget? But, you know, surprisingly uh, and thankfully, we did. You know, we did it exactly within that budget. So I'm really glad. And oh, wow. uh yeah. So, and we went away from the meeting completely confident we are not going to get a license, mm-hmm. and uh, because we have such faith in the system. So, uh, <laughs> and next thing we know, we're getting a letter saying it's called a letter of intent, saying that we you are going to be getting a license, so you can please start paperwork. Oh wow! So we were totally stumped, <laughs> and uh, the NGO was, I think, even more stumped, and uh, so they asked me, would I like to lead it because I'd done radio in college. Mm. And I love radio. And mm-hmm. even when I um, when I was in college, when I was studying journalism, uh, you know, one of the uh, things I ideally wanted to pursue was a career either in radio or television. And I preferred radio because I love the fact that it's non-visual. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like the tyranny of the visual. So I love the fact that in radio, you can just create these worlds out of sounds. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, uh, when they asked me and it it came at that beautiful moment in time where you, you know, you've got about 15 years of work experience behind you and you don't mind failing. You don't mind taking on something and letting it completely bomb. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, where you uh, I wouldn't have been able to do it in my 20s, I feel I wouldn't have had the confidence. Mm-hmm. So it just happened when I you know, turned 40 and I said, why not? You know, <laughs> what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is this radio is going to stink. Yeah. And uh, why not? Because uh, when do you get the chance to build something from zero? Right. And uh, to get that space and to get that opportunity without the experience, you know, because here I didn't have, I had zero experience in producing radio programs or in running yeah. a radio station. Mm-hmm. So that's, I spent a year, I spent a year meeting people, going to community radio stations, just mm-hmm. learning as much as possible from lots of people. And so everybody was extremely generous with their time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, then finally being very clear in my head about what this radio station will be, what's the vision mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, what it is not going to be, which is probably even more important. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, uh, how, you know, I kind right. of got into radio. 
So, I mean, just to clarify, because I think community radio is something that I didn't really know anything about. And it sounds like you didn't really until you you were oh, in this nothing. position. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, I mean, there's commercial radio, there's public radio, and then the community radio is kind of like right. a third That's category. Three years of broadcasting, yeah. And it's typically a sort of 10 kilometer kind of range, which is six or seven miles. So is again, that right? depends. Right. So it depends on the topography. So if you're in a, say you're in a desert, so it'll go much further because it's flat. Ah, there okay. is, there, because FM is line of sight. Mm. So it makes as far as, you know, 20 or 30 kilometers in completely flat land. Mm-hmm. In uh, in a mountainous region, it may go really, like, so if the tower is up on a hill, it may go, say, 20, 30 kilometers in okay. one direction. But it may not even go behind, right? Because the hill is blocking the signal. Right, okay. So it's very, it's not evenly, it's not an even circular radius. I see, I So see. even in Gurgaon, for example, because Gurgaon is such a dense environment, it's yeah. built up so much, and there are lots of high rises. Uh, and the the tower is cannot be higher than 30 meters. Mm. So you'll have buildings blocking the signal. You'll have towers blocking the signal. So mm-hmm. you'll have uh, gray areas, dark areas, you know, where there are shadows. Okay. And uh, so, which is also why uh, we also simulcast. So you can also listen to Gurgaon Ki Awaz over the internet. I see. You can just, you know, you can download any of the pretty much most popular uh, internet streaming broadcast uh, softwares apps mm-hmm. from Google Play Store. Okay. One um, of the ones which we suggest is Simple Radio because it's just easy to find, uh-huh. and uh, you can just listen to us on the internet. And what because data now has become so inexpensive in India, we find that a lot of our listening community is using data is using. Uh, the internet to listen to us now I see. because it's a clear signal. It doesn't get disrupted by right. a building or top. That's so interesting. So before we talk more about the radio station itself, mm-hmm. um, could you describe Gurgaon and the setting for people who aren't familiar with it? Um, as far as I know, I mean, this is an area that 20, 30 years ago was predominantly rural and now has basically turned into this kind of, you know, high-rise mall, condo, glass towers, industrial area, but still very mixed with um, village-like um, infrastructure right. in some places. Is this, you know, tell us what, yeah, how you so, would describe uh, it. See, Gurgaon uh, is a suburb of Delhi. It's just right across the border. It's yeah. only about seven to ten kilometers depending on where you are from the from the delhi airport yeah so it's really very close by it's uh it about in the 1980s it was predominantly rural mm-hmm. and the earliest um industrial presence uh, was the auto industry which came in the form of the maruti plant mm. uh and with the maruti and the suzuki partnership mm-hmm. um, an entire auto ancillary belt was set up to support the Maruti Suzuki plant. And that kind of brought in a certain industrialization in a certain part of Gurgaon. Mm. And then you had uh, in the 90s, um, I'd say kind of late 90s, you had the business process outsourcing industry come mm-hmm. and set up uh, its offices. And the first was Genpact, which was an outsourcing company of GE. 
and they were the first ones to set up uh, a call center in gurgaon and after that you know you had more and more yeah. uh, companies come in right and uh, slowly you're looking at in the um in the mid 90s to late 90s you started really having a lot of mnc's Mm-hmm. multinational corporations setting up their offices in gurgaon because it was far more affordable it was close to the airport yeah and you also had simultaneously in the early 90s you had real estate companies uh, mm-hmm. start developing colonies there you know so a lot of people who couldn't afford homes in delhi were moving to gurgaon yeah and people who were working in companies that were in gurgaon also wanted to stay in gurgaon so that they didn't have to commute Right. So you had this kind of parallel development happening of companies moving, factories moving. Mm-hmm. There's a huge garment export industry which is based out of Gurgaon. Mm. Uh the auto industry, the IT industry, uh you have the of course the BPO industry which is based in Gurgaon. Mhm. So it's really become a huge hub of both services as well as manufacturing. I see. And uh, that brings both kinds of migrants coming into the city which is you have workers coming which is blue collar workers coming from across the country mm-hmm. and then you have white collar uh, workers coming from across the world. Mm-hmm. So it's really in terms of numbers uh, Gurgaon now is predominantly a migrant city. Mm-hmm. But it's a relatively new migrant city because it's just about 20 25 years old in terms of that explosion mm-hmm. of migrants from all over the world i mean you literally have reached a point now where certain condominiums are hubs of the korean community and that's a hub of a chinese community and that's the hub of you know oh, people wow. from europe and you know that's that can only happen when you have enough numbers to yeah. you yeah. know create those little bubbles right. and uh, so it's it's really fascinating to watch that to, to watch that happen mm-hmm. and uh, and to also you know watch the complete uh, um, inequity uh, that yeah. is playing out in terms of development and where the infrastructure comes and where it doesn't come and yeah. who gets say in how things happen and who is just completely marginalized so in terms of the radio station that is extremely important to us to have a finger on that pulse because our focus is to ensure that the voices that don't get a voice in the planning process or in the city in general should have a voice on the radio mhm so i mean these people you're describing with the sort of multinational lifestyle are not the people the radio station They are not, really no, no. is meant to represent right so not at all because uh, also language is a barrier a yeah uh, the other thing is that uh, interestingly uh white collar workers don't consider themselves will not do not want to call themselves migrants mm-hmm. they prefer to call themselves expats right, right. yeah okay. because it's like a nice little class distinction that happens there but they're migrant workers that's sure. what they are sure. you know so uh but here we are very clear we are looking at of course the indian community predominantly yeah. we people who are speaking an array of dialects mm-hmm. uh, and the common language that we use to communicate is hindi uh, so there's practically there's no english on the radio station yeah um and even if you are a, if you're a white collar worker and a migrant but 
just by your class alone and your position and the position of your company, if you want to raise an issue, you can do it. You mm-hmm. can make the administration listen. Mm-hmm. But say if you're a factory worker working in a garment export company and you want to raise the issue of uh, housing or electricity or schooling or health, mm-hmm. nobody's listening. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. So this is, you know, both the audience for your radio station, but they're also the creators of all the content on it, right? So can you tell us more about the radio station, what it plays and who are the people listening and participating? Mm-hmm. So the so Gurgaon Ki Awaaz broadcasts 22 hours a day, morning and night. It is shut off for only two hours in the afternoon. Wow. Um, the people running the radio station, the team, mm-hmm. the, there are, there's a team of five people who run the radio station. They are drawn from the same community that we broadcast to which is a mix of local villagers and migrant workers. Mm-hmm. So our team consists of young people as well as not so young people who are either they are local uh, villagers, that means they own land here, mm-hmm. or they are migrant workers who have come from various parts of India but have made Gurgaon their home. Mm-hmm. So either they've made it or their parents came here, and which is why Gurgaon has become their home. Uh, so most of them... If they're migrant workers, they also speak their original mother tongue and they also speak Hindi. Mm-hmm. If, they're, if they're local villagers, then they speak the local dialect, which is Haryanvi, and they also speak Hindi. Right. So uh, that's the team that is broadcasting. And they're broadcasting to this mix of local villagers and migrant workers, which is about our listeners are about 500,000 listeners wow. on FM mm-hmm. and more than 20,000 listeners worldwide over the internet that's amazing because i mean 500,000 locally is already it's kind of an astounding number and how considering which also how talks lo- about the density you yes, know of gurgaon yes, it's right. also that if one there are villages here that each village has a population of more than 100,000 wow you know so we have that level of density that's amazing. But I mean, also what's amazing is given how local the content is um, and locally yeah. re- sort of relevant, um, that you have these 20,000 people who are potentially not in that area, right? Right. right. And yeah. So I would assume that out of 20,000, maybe about max, about... 10 percent are maybe in Gurgaon or at least within North India. Okay. 50% our data shows are for some reason in Canada, which okay. defies <laughs> our understanding. Uh, so, but we are, I mean, I'm assuming they like the content. I don't know why. Uh, and we have the rest are from all over the world. You know, from the US, from West Asia, mm-hmm. Jopi. Yeah, and I'm assuming that these are migrant workers mm-hmm. because if they're non-Indians, then language would be a barrier. Right, because I mean, you know, there's Hindi, but Haryanvi is um, a very dominant language. And this Haryanvi, the songs are in Bhojpuri, in yeah. Methli, in Gadwali, you know, these are, and many are dialects, even I don't understand. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but we in fact once had a Brazilian write to us 
saying that he loves listening to gurgaon ki awaaz and i actually wrote back to him like what do you understand and he said i love the sound of the language or just it. the music and uh, he just loves the sound of the music and uh, because out of 22 hours 16 hours is music and it's all folk music okay and uh, so you uh, it's interesting what yeah what kind of draws people you know yes. and that's <laughs> always uh, that's uh, there's a little magic which always fascinates me about what makes people turn on the radio and leave all other radio stations and tune into gurgaon ki awaaz which may have a really scratchy signal where they are mm-hmm. if they're not listening via the internet and uh, i think language has a big thing to do with it because if you are a migrant yeah then no commercial channel no public broadcaster plays your dialect mm-hmm. but if you can listen to it on a community radio you can talk to rjs whom you know understand your reality of being a migrant living in a tenement yeah uh, living in these urban villages they know that reality because they live it uh, mm-hmm. you just don't want to leave that space that's amazing so um can you describe the music a little bit to us um a lot of it is just really particular to that area of haryana right yeah so you have the haryanvi raginis uh, which are ballads um okay. and these uh, actually really became popular during uh, colonial rule oh uh, because the there were a lot of uh, soldiers recruited from haryana into the army Mm-hmm. and uh, during uh, you know so there were these there were these balladeers who would go from regiment to regiment singing songs of bravery and singing songs about you know great uh, heroes in I history see. and they would sing songs from you know like mythology mm. and what was interesting is that you know once uh, as um, the struggle for freedom was kind of gaining momentum and i think in the uh, you know later stages and early stages of india's independence new songs started coming up celebrating the kings who fought against the british and the warriors who fought against the british and you know so it's mm. very interesting how new songs just keep getting written mm-hmm. and so these are like in the form of a ballad i see and uh, they call ragini uh, the other songs are um, songs from other languages which could be about festivals which could be about uh, separation about mm-hmm. missing your home it could be about again mythology is always a big content source for mm-hmm. all folk music mm-hmm. um and then songs in other languages other dialects i see songs about rain songs about festivals songs about you know a brother writing about his sister or you know writing about you know somebody's a loved one and uh, so it's just a it, really i think it's uh, when you listen to the folk songs you realize how uh, rooted they are you know to the ground and to um, as we kind of say in hindi i mean it's really about uh, they are kind of in touch with the soil yeah but also the flip side is that folk music i mean it's easy to romanticize but folk music can also be extremely sexist can be extremely misogynistic so you have to make sure that you're not playing those songs you just kind of filter it out mm. <laughs> i see 
This is interesting. Um, so you have both, you know, recorded music that you play and then also go and actually record people in the community, play some of that as well, including children yeah. and yeah. So the professionals. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anybody can sing. So when we started, that was one of the values for the radio station. We said no auditions. Mm-hmm. Anybody can come. We would we would broadcast on radio saying if you'd like to record songs, you'd like to sing for the radio, just come and uh, you don't need to audition. And I remember people would tell us that, you know, that's such a big mistake. You're mm. going to have absolutely tone deaf people coming and singing for you. <laughs> and we were like, it's fine. It's community radio. Uh-huh. And it really doesn't happen like that. I mean, of course, you will get a few, you know, weird singers. But yeah. you, uh, we are, I think it, uh, we don't realize uh, how intimidated people are by media. So if I'm a bathroom singer, yeah, and I, if somebody says, hey, you sing great in the shower, come sing on the radio, I will back off. I'll say, no, 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 I can't do it. Yeah, yeah, or people yeah. will really practice and really prep for it and they'll, get everything together. So I think we underestimate, uh, you know, people don't just walk up and say, I'll sing. Uh, So it's, uh, in fact, especially women, we'd go to women's groups. They they would meet every Tuesday to sing at the temple. And we'd say, why don't you record? Why can we record your songs? And they'd say, oh, we can't sing. Mm. And I say, you're singing, you're singing every Tuesday and you're singing really well. Mm -hmm. And it's only when we used to record them and play it back to them. Mm they'd be amazed at what they're singing <laughs> because they'd never heard themselves That's because they always sung you know you, it's a different experience to hear yourself yeah yeah so it's a, it, i mean i think uh, that approach where it was a completely open studio anybody could come you know just come and record wow so, I mean, that's amazing, this journey, you know, like you described when you started in 2008 by trying to understand the needs of the community, then setting up the studio, which there's some mm-hmm. amazing pictures I hope we can share, um, where you basically built a studio, set up the tower yeah. and everything. And, <laughs> right. you know, to go from that sort of why not we'll help you write this proposal to now kind of 10 years later, having this amazing community radio station that's doing more than just, I mean, it, it, the most important thing, of course, is the voice, uh, Gurgaon Kiyavaz, which literally means the voice of Gurgaon, but also um, functioning really like an activist group for this community. Um, that's just an amazing journey. Um, I'm wondering now you think back on it, you know, what are your thoughts and were the things that really surprised you along this journey that you learned about yourself or about this kind of work or anything? Yeah, I think everything's been a surprise <laughs> because <laughs> uh, when, you know, some of us who were part of the setup, we think back and you know, that did we ever imagine the radio station taking the shape it has? Mm-hmm. I'd say no. Because mm-hmm. frankly, we didn't even know. It was this, you know, you just jump into the deep end and you just say, oh, let's swim without yeah. even knowing where the other end is. And you just swim. And so it's been a surprise. Uh, and I think uh, I look back and I think the biggest strength was willing to just reach out for help mm-hmm. and just go to people and say, I 
don't know how to do this. Can mm-hmm. you help? And mm-hmm. I think everybody helped. Not a single person turned around and said, you know, sorry, I don't have the time. Wow. Or, you know, don't be bothered. Nothing. Everybody helped. And uh, without exception. And I think uh, that ability to just reach out and ask for help. Yeah. Uh, I think that, uh, I think, stood me in good stead. I, I And that really goes back to my experience of trekking with my family, where I used to be really the person who would hold up the rear Mm-hmm. And be very happy to ask for help that, you know, somebody hold my hand while I go up the slope or down the slope. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, this this has helped to be able to just reach out and say, uh, yeah. can you give me help? And now, you know, I love it when some new radio station comes to us and says, would you help us? And I'm like, sure, <laughs> because, yeah, yeah. you know, if we can share part of our learnings, why not? Yeah. And I think... Something which somebody, um, you know, who who used to head this World Association for Community Radio Broadcasters told me, and he had come to visit when we were not even broadcasting it. So it was that early in the radio station stage. And he said that, you know, you may want to consider uh, having this radio space as this very open space where organizations from across your geography can come and do radio. So it's not you know, your, it's not just your organization's radio station mm-hmm. where you, you are just mm-hmm. the guardians for it and you just kind of make the space available and other NGOs in Gurgaon and other people and other individuals and other communities oh, wow. can come and do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something, it made so much sense to me and it's something we did uh, right from the beginning. And again, it's worked so well for us because we've got this amazing network of friends now wow. uh, which are all NGOs actually and or individuals and organizations working mm-hmm. with different communities oh, and wow. different groups with different issues and uh, um, the radio is an open space for them to come and do programs on those issues and that's something which I think uh, has also worked for us to not mm-hmm. treat it as this exclusive turf mm-hmm. for our organization mm-hmm. or the community that we think should be, right. you know, on reach. So I think that uh, that was good advice uh, to kind of follow. Yeah. And uh, also as somebody says, you know, like there's this big trap of in, at least I don't know about the corporate world, but even in the NGO world, there's this big trap of uh, scalability. Like how much can you scale this or, yeah. or can you replicate, you yes. know? And I think when it comes to community radio, when you look at one individual community radio, mm-hmm. you don't look at scaling big. Right. I think you have to look at scaling deep. Mm-hmm. How deep can you go into the community? You know, mm-hmm. so you don't focus on getting bigger and bigger and like become like one mega, you know, mega radio station. Mm-hmm. But can you get deeper and deeper into the community and reach out to the people who even now are not represented? You yeah. know, because yeah. it's a never ending task. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that I think is you know the more we do we realize oh my god there's so much more to do that's amazing so you still spend most of your work time devoted to the radio station right right yeah yeah that's that's my kind of one and only obsession right now yeah, yeah. and uh, I think I try to I've been trying to step back mainly because so that I can 
look at it from some perspective you know it's if you're involved a lot in the day to day yeah stuff sometimes it's harder to kind of step back and just take a sense of where have we come and where do we want to go and what are the kind of you know shifts that we want to do yeah sure yeah that's amazing so that is something that I, that's my kind of current mode of saying can i step back a bit i see just to you know look at the practice yeah in a slightly bigger picture way. get some time to yeah. think about the bigger picture over the next couple of years yeah, yeah. right that's so interesting well this is so cool um so you know before we wrap up and ask you where we can learn more about the work and everything um i love asking guests about books that have either inspired mm-hmm. them or that they'd love to share with others um are there any that you're particularly um either influenced oh. by or just love and want to share well uh i think one of the authors i just absolutely admire and in awe of is amitabh ghosh mm. and the reason is because he's such a consummate storyteller and mm-hmm. it's uh, he's an anthropologist by training and it shows because every single book of his has such immense and such dense detail that you know there's this it's just like painting a picture with very tiny tiny strokes yeah and uh, so i i went through i think almost every single book of his in the span of i think a couple of months oh, because wow. <laughs> uh, this was pre radio days and i was very fortunate to interview him at the frankfurt book fair oh, so wow. i was you know in the in preparation preparation for meeting him i said yeah. you know okay i've read one or two let me read all <laughs> and i just was in awe because each book was better than the next and I remember reading The Hungry Tide which I can never forget because it's set in the Sundarbans which is the mangrove one. forest mm-hmm. you know just before you know uh, the Ganga flows out into the Bay of Bengal mm-hmm. and uh, I was very, in fact, very fortunate uh, some years ago to go to the Sundarbans in Bangladesh oh, wow. and when I went there I mean the only thing in my mind was his book you know all the images and yeah. it's uh, I think uh, I remember reading um dancing in cambodia and at large in burma and again completely in awe um the glass palace mm-hmm. uh, and just the yeah, arc i mean he's able to write about these great journeys you know and across you know an entire continent and he's uh, able to kind of take you to those places right i mean i almost feel like visiting every single place that he's written about <laughs> you know uh yeah whether so when you know when we talk about going to burma for example or myanmar mm-hmm. i mean i just think oh my god yes i want to go to myanmar and he's written a book where it starts in ethiopia and i'm like yes i want to go to ethiopia <laughs> so i think amitabh ghosh is somebody i admire enormously because i just mm. love his books and i love that he's able to replicate in words the sound of people you know their accent uh uh-huh. and he does it in english so that's really bizarre how he does it so i remember in the ibis trilogy as well it's you know it's kind of set in calcutta it starts in bengal and then you're you know you're talking about the whole it's just before the opium war and it's talking about the indentured labor moving and he's able to hmm. create the accent of the 
bihari worker being shoved into a boat you know and yeah. wow you just are in awe like how does this man do it you know so i always if somebody says oh recommend a book i'm like if you have the patience <laughs> read amitabh ghosh because he's uh, absolutely brilliant and so i do have a partiality to a lot of uh, indian writers writing in english because mm-hmm. i love the worlds they're able to create uh, mm-hmm. and these are worlds that you know visually sometimes i'm familiar with but then to see a writer create it you know yeah uh, it's just so amazing uh, I mean, I love Rohinton Mystery. He he yeah. just writes beautifully, yeah. and so there are a lot of Indian writers I really admire. But mm-hmm. I think Amitabh is right on top there. Well, I'll have to follow up and ask you for works in translation as well um, that have been oh, translated yes. into English, um, because oh, yeah. I feel like I also didn't read enough of those, and we don't all have that exposure. Um, even Indian writers from different parts of India, you know, who have been translated. um so yeah that would be great if you have any of those in mind um well i mean another person who wrote yeah. in fact in english as well but wrote mostly in bangla is mahashweta devi and she's been translated a lot and she wrote about naxalbari and she wrote about tribals and adivasis and their you know the attacks on them and I their see. struggles and uh, in fact um, her book hazar chorasi ki maa which has also been made into a film has been translated into english mother of 1084 and okay. uh, that's it's just you know i mean it, it's such a raw book uh, and that's something which you sh- must read and i i wish i knew bangla i would love to read it in the original but i don't mm-hmm. so, but some of the books have been translated so well that they've kept the cadence of the original oh, wow. which is yeah wonderful yeah amazing okay i'll look out for that one because i don't know it um but this has been so great i'm um, so thankful you were able to take the time i'll wrap it up I'm there and well. also ask um, where we can learn more about your work um is it through the <laughs> trf india the ngo website Um, yeah if you want to know about the ngo trf as well as the radio station a starting point is our website which unfortunately right now is fairly basic it's uh, www.trfindia.org mm-hmm. if you want to listen to gurgaon ki awaaz you can actually just google gurgaon ki awaaz and a lots you know a ton of yeah. links just pop up but otherwise you can just download simple radio and search for gurgaon and then you can listen to us anywhere in the world and uh, if you google gurgaon ki awaaz lots of articles come up about us um i think there are a couple of youtube films that come up about us which people have made over the years okay so super. um there, yeah there are lots of places that's amazing i've learned so much so thanks again arthi for taking the time and thanks everyone for listening i hope you enjoyed spending this time with arthi i loved her why not attitude to trying new things Our show notes below have links to Katha and other wonderful resources we discussed on this episode and to see some amazing pictures of how they built the radio station from scratch. Check out our Instagram at the Indian Edit Podcast and also visit Arthi and her husband Ajay's website for kids pitara p i t a r a .com and finally please rate, review and share this episode so more people can hear about her amazing work.